people don't want to do this. I challenge that statement by saying, is it they don't want to or you're not giving them the opportunity to do it? So what's this podcast all about, this financial sobriety thing we're doing? It certainly isn't a traditional conversation about money. There's lots of great people in our industry that talk the traditional game. This is going to be a very unconventional conversation about those three unbelievably complicated relationships that when you put them all together, you don't necessarily think of them this way, but the relationship that you have with money, the relationship you have with your people that mean the most to you, and then the relationship that you have with the person in the mirror. You mean those three relationships go together? They do, and it's a very complex inner relationship between them. And when those get a little bit out of whack, interesting things happen. Do you know anything about that? We should probably introduce ourselves. Who are you? good idea. Jim Gephardt. And I'm Matthew Grishman. I'm your author of the book, Financial Sobriety, and we are going to have some great conversations, so stick around. We're going to pick up now where we left off with Dr. Joyce Michael Flynn as she discusses in more detail actionable steps you can take to remedy the COVID hangover by learning how to minimize the trauma and moving into growth with a little help from her program, Metahab. I know you've got a whole bunch of questions and thoughts, and please, fire away. I always make this very clear to people. I never minimize people's pain and discomfort. I never say, oh, you you know, I never minimize that because it is tough going through this. And there are some people that are absolutely so overwhelmed with a situation that they may not come back without very special help that helps them through the grieving process and the understanding and that type of stuff. There is that special help that we need, and I need to honor what has gone on with them. People always say, can everybody metahab or go beyond, you know, restoration, whatever? And I said, yes, we have the capacity. Mm -hmm. Are all the pieces, you know, are all the pieces there together to allow you to do that? That's where you go to say what, you know, the strategy and what you need to do to help people. But we do have the capacity. It's the, the surround, what surrounds us to help us at that time. And mm-hmm. you've alluded to that. And Well, I mean, against the backdrop of what Matthew was talking earlier about, we live in the greatest time mm-hmm. in the history of the world. Yet, in my observation, we as a society tend to play the victim and buy into the trauma and the drama and the struggle and you look at you know depression rates anxiety rates and all of this are you talking about negative bias Uh, sure a little bit a little bit keep going is i'm fascinated with the how i completely believe in the process of metahab and how someone can raise above that but when when you're in that dark place and you need the acute recovery stage of the process. Mm-hmm. How does somebody, is, I mean, you talked about, you know, dropping to your knees. And I, mm-hmm. I think most people listening would remember a time in their life when they've done that. How does somebody force that to happen? Or what, what do they, what, do, what can they do with 
their own struggle with it, whatever the situation is, whether it's money, sex, power, spending, drinking, drinking, drugging. whatever, whatever the bad accident, right? And your, you know, the, the death experience that you went through. How do they get started? I think acknowledging it. That's number one. You can't, you know, I think Dr. Phil's famous line is you can't change what you don't acknowledge. Just the awareness, the awareness of what's going on. And even like, let's not make this super crazy because we're not built to do that, right? Where if everything, if everybody who got through this needed to be a neurophysiologist or neurobiologist or genetic, we would never get through that. We are very complex creatures, but the essence of that is the acknowledgement that I am in a tough spot or I am in pain or whatever. And again, if I'm going to move, I am going to have to act. And part of that action is asking for and accepting help. And I think that's where it comes up with when you talked about earlier, having the dialogues over mental health and realizing like one of the things when I was working with the ICU nurses that came about, I love doing research because you go in there kind of looking at one thing and then other things bubble up. And one of the things that came up, and I didn't say this, the nurse manager said this, what she identified was the shared humanity within her staff. Hmm. And so what, what happened was they didn't just talk about what happened to them on a professional level and caring for patients. We talk about, I use their stories. I go, you got to find your story. You got to see this in yourself first before you can see this in others. And then they started sharing their stories and they said, you know, Matthew, I didn't know you went through that. Jim, I didn't know. Wow. And they started connecting at that level. Common experience. Yes. So, you know, the answer to your question, I got to tell you, is very, very complex. And if I had the crystal ball, I would be able to give you that. But it there's a lot that comes into it. So you try a lot of things for people. You explore a lot of things with them. What would make you want to come back? What would it look like if you just even got up the next day? Sometimes I I listened to this one podcast where that guy was a, a Navy SEAL and he was giving a talk to the guys that graduate from Annapolis. And he was saying the 10 things I want you to know. Well, the first thing he said is, here's the first thing I want you to do. You get up in the morning, make your bed. I love that. Admiral and we've speech. talked about that. Yeah, yes. I love this. Such a good speech. Mm-hmm. I mean, he talks about that too, like don't ring the bell first and all that. But again, just sometimes I say to people, don't go crazy. Just get up in the morning, make your bed, go for even a 10 minute walk, take a shower and get dressed. And if you've accomplished that, that's gotten you up and moving and going. Sure. So sometimes you just start with simple things and Again, it doesn't happen. That's why I tell people, we have to understand the process here, the process of healing. We see that in the process of healing, fractured bones, skin, heart, everything. It that the process of that takes some time and you build in what you need to build in to enhance and facilitate that healing process. Joyce, I have such a hard time with exercise. So I, I, I so what, Jim has encouraged me, dude, you got to get back to exercising. It's so good for you. I've had such a block with that. So I've set my goal, get outside. 
Mm-hmm. Something crazy happens when all I have to do is go outside. Mm-hmm. My body does the rest. My job is to just get outside. If I think about exercise, oh, you're doing it doesn't too happen. Far yeah. mm-hmm. Way too much. And I, I really appreciate what you've said in terms of the how. Because yes. it, it does not have to be I'm going to build a rocket and no. go to Mars. No. It is the simplest possible step you can take. Make and we, your bed. We talk about this old analogy of, you know, you don't have to get all the way across the lake. You just got to get the anchor a half an inch off the bottom to get in motion. So if you're stuck in some major part of your life that is bringing you a lot of pain and grief, it is that simplest little step you can take. You know, in the spending vernacular, it's our 10-10-10 principle of put the phone down. 10 minutes. Give it 10 minutes and see what happens. Right. When that impulse comes up that I have whatever to the, Whatever buy. the impulse is, whether it's buying or eating or drinking or whatever it is, just pause. Pause. 10, 10, 10, baby. What is the simplest thing? And I, I'm like a broken record with this one. But if my gym bag is packed huh. and it is in the back seat of my car. Your only job is to get in the car. Well, I'm going to the gym. That's right. Because when I when I leave work and I put my backpack in the car, oh, there's oh right, I'm going to the gym. Like if I've forgotten that I'm going to the gym, when the trigger is I see the gym bag, I'm going to the gym. If the gym bag is not in the car, you're going home. I'm not going to the gym. <laughs> right. And you set yourself up for success. And it is really this simple parts to getting some things done getting some strategy behind what you're doing, getting some momentum behind that, having people recognize saying, wow, I I haven't seen you in a while. Look at, I didn't realize you were doing that. And again, the people that you're around, but it's just so fundamental to set yourself up for success. The other thing when you're talking about the 10 minute thing, you know how they say, you know, count to 10? Mm-hmm. Well, that's just not a fun thing to think about. That actually works. And the reason it works is because we are emotional beings, we are, and we should be. And we have a fight-or-flight mechanism in our midbrain, our older, more rudimentary reptilian brain. We need it. It's important. It keeps us out of danger. We need those emotions. But what we really want to do as fully human beings is to engage that executive function, which is in our frontal lobe, right? Mm -hmm. Our frontal lobe says, "Mm, you know, that thing you thought was a good idea at the time, maybe you shouldn't do that. It kind of puts a stopgap on things and gives you this sensitivity around it. Well, if you put a little time and space between that initial impulse and what you're going to do to react to it, then you usually make better choices. So giving your brain time to catch up, so to speak, giving your brain time to engage the executive function part of our neurosystem is very, very important in terms of, that's why I cannot deal with like these knee-jerk reactions to things. I was a charge nurse in an ICU for a while. We used to respond to every code in the hospital. And I always say, you know, you still have 10 seconds to make a choice. You know, you don't have to just go boom. You have 10 seconds to, you know, make a decision with you. So we need to use our full capacity in doing that. Like you hear right now, if we were in the studio and you heard a roar, you would have a few seconds go, oh, no, that's probably somebody's phone thing. Or that's that's not a 
there right here. We have that ability to do that. So we need to take advantage of that. I think I think yeah. the theme for the show today is going to be sponsored by Joyce's two favorite words, choice <laughs> and control. That's right. Well, thank heavens we might have written an entire chapter on living a 30-year retirement on purpose in the book Financial Sobriety, which was all about choice and control, about how we get to that point in our life where if we've done the preparation work, we get the benefit of having choice and control in retirement. We get to versus have to. Correct. Absolutely. Super great. The I, I to add on one thing to your your point there about we need that time for to be distracted. I think an advantage of living in the time and space that we do with how much distraction there is, and I think ultimately we might embrace the word boredom in this conversation. Mm -hmm. But I know when I find myself having moments of boredom, I grab that device, right? Sure. I, I grab the phone. And I go hop somewhere, whatever little pain pleaser I need. Is it Instagram? Is it Amazon? Is it the weather? Is it, you know, what is it? But in this DoorDash generation that we have, <laughs> where I want it now, I want it now. now. I don't care what it is. <laughs> I don't care what the price is. I want it now. Mm -hmm. The little secret blessing in, in all of that distraction is that it It could, if you can be aware of it, it could help you pause. Well, it, it could actually help you be distracted enough from the drink, the donut, the purchase, the whatever the whatever the behavior is that you're trying to you know correct. That to me, it gives me some some hope because I can I can get down a pretty good rabbit hole on the whole concept of you know I it, we don't bother teaching people how to fish anymore, right? Because they don't want to learn how to fish. They would rather have somebody fish for them, catch it, prepare it, clean it. They'd probably actually have to eat it. it for them. Right. But at the very least, they're going to have a door dash to their house. Mm -hmm. So for me, I can't go down that rabbit hole. That's, right. that's poison for me because I've got four little people that aren't so little anymore, but that are going to go into this world and hopefully be you know contributing members of society. But trying to teach them tools and skills to be able to deal with whatever the setbacks are, right? They're too really young to have a story yet. And maybe that's a blessing. Maybe it's not a blessing. Well, you're, you're connecting the dots on something pretty important right now that I really want to hear what Joyce's thoughts are and, and where MetaHab is with this, is that you're connecting something that I think affects every human being, which is boredom, to a common thread with trauma. And that is the reaction versus the response. So I have friends, friends who are former military that suffer greatly from trauma in, in their military days. And they hear a car backfire in a parking right. lot and they will hit the floor. That is their reaction. Right. And what they're learning through post-traumatic growth is how to pause just for a moment, and respond to that versus that instinctual, that reptilian brain reaction. Right. And yet, that's a very unique circumstance for somebody who has had time overseas in the military or experienced that kind of trauma here, you know, uh, mass shooting kind of trauma here in right. the U.S., and we're connecting the dots to something that so many more people have exposure to in just this very 
you know, innocuous thing called boredom and how the minute we're hit with boredom, we react by doing something maybe not so healthy, whether it's buying, eating, drinking, overeating, swiping, social media-ing, right? And so th this is what I think is so incredible about what you're doing is that from the everyday person dealing with something as, again, what appears to be innocuous, boredom, to the trauma that I've experienced with money, to some of the traumas that people have experienced serving in the military, first responders. I mean, there, there's a common thread that I'm hearing with this just pause and retraining that reptilian side of our brain instead of reacting to creating more of a response, right? A pause. Right. To me, it sounds like metahab can be something that kind of coats the brain, right? <laughs> coats, coats the brain into dealing with this, right? This in a generic yeah, sense. it's just it's a common thread through all of these places in life. Right. Well, that, you know, and as you, thanks for the teeing up that one on there. But seriously, when you make that choice to move forward, you know, the third stage is kind of a busy stage in terms of doing a lot of work. When you were doing your financial sobriety, mm -hmm. you, there, was a, there was a very busy time. There was yes. a very busy active time. And that you do a lot. You get a lot of people engaged in that process, and it really promotes a lot of good behaviors that you did before. Because here's the other thing, too, people. You already have good behaviors. Mm -hmm. You just need to pull them out and use them again. But the fourth stage I put is adaptation and acceptance. And that's a stage where I tell people you just kind of just take a deep breath and chill. And one of the things I know I'm uncomfortable with, especially as I'm getting into a retirement area, is comfort with the quiet. Hmm. Embracing the quiet? Just uh, so I understand it better. Comfort, embracing, not, not thinking that every minute has to be doing something. Productive. And I think learning with, you know, seeing with myself, seeing with people who go through things, sometimes you have to just stop. You got to take that breather. You got to be okay without all these other distractions and give yourself some time to think about what just happened? What did I do about it? Where do I want to go? So I started working part-time, right? Half-time. And the guy I run with, we do a lot of chit-chatting about life. And it's really good. And that's the other thing that gets me out the door because I know he's waiting for me at 730 and I got to show up. And, you know, you all, it's such a good thing. Mm -hmm. But I was telling him when I first went part-time, I go, you know, I just had to learn how to do this. And I decided I'm going to, you know, I'm going to do this. I, this is what I do. Friday at noon, I shut it down. I don't look at an email. I don't, and I don't look at anything over the weekend. I don't start again till Monday morning. And he said, "You know, Joyce, most people who work full time do that. So I think you need to rethink how you're going to do part time. <laughs> you know what I mean? It was like I just thought this was this epiphany for me. Sure. I'm going to shut things down Friday at noon. And I started to think about again, why? What is it about? I don't have comfort with this." The other thing, too, I wrote down here, Jim, when you said about do people don't want to do this, 
I challenged that statement by saying, is it they don't want to or you're not giving them the opportunity to do it? So we talk about children. And as an example, we've talked about my daughter and her husband. Well, i got to tell you, and even my other daughter, and her, one of the things I hear from them is when the kids go, hey, where are my soccer shoes? They go, I don't know. I don't wear them. I don't know. I don't wear them. Where are they? And challenging and giving that because... Children are amazing. You know how they know how to do stuff? They're the best manipulators on the planet. Because they teach themselves how to, well, they go watch. To a, go to a playground. Yeah. Go to a playground. This Play is such a phenomenal thing. What are they doing? Problem solving, collaborating, challenging themselves. Those are, children can do that. I really am going to throw this on parents and adults. We take that from them. Yes. We take that from them. Well, because the playground's full of germs, and they're dangerous. <laughs> yeah, it's not safe. All that kind. Of, but you really do. So you look, and then even you talked about with your children, where you don't know if they've been. Here's the other thing I've learned to do. I have this older woman's mind and been through a bunch of stuff. I have to take off that mind and put on the mind of a five-year-old. Because what your children probably have had struggles, they and what's a really cool thing is to help them identify that, oh, wow, you went to kindergarten and you didn't know what colors or you didn't know that. Or, how did you, what did you do with that? How, how did you get through that? Yeah, I, Tell I me quickly, how you did that. I quickly recognize the ignorance of my statement since they've all lived through at least COVID, if not 14 other stories. Sure. Yeah. Did, did you did you ever sit down with your children and say how did what did you think about that? What did what did you learn from that? What no, did I'm you on think? Instagram too much. Yeah. <laughs> but I, no, I, I mean I'm telling you I, it really I started doing and I think I alluded to the issue that I had with a death event that I had and had to come back. At that time our children were like 2, 8 and 9. And there was a time where I was pretty much out of like commission. I, commission. I could not do things. And so, you know what I found out? You know, my fourth grader, she made a really good Sutter's Fort without me doing it. You know, my second, third grader, whatever, and that science fair, they did a real, and I would just like look at their stuff going, that is amazing. They did that. So me being out of commissioned gave them the permission to take things over. And I didn't have to, you know, I collaborated a little bit. That's when our, they, our children got older and I'd get a call from college or whatever. I'd say, okay, I'm going to stop right here and tell me, do you want me to listen? Do you want me to offer an opinion? <laughs> or do you want me to, you know, come in? No, no, I just want you, then that's what I'm going to do. Were you like that before? Your death experience, when that took you out, were you like that with your children beforehand? Hands off, let them figure it out? Or did that experience help create that for you? It did. That Clearly, Matthew, that experience did help create that experience. And part of it is because I was out of commission and Mm -hmm. I couldn't do that. So they learned here. And here's the beauty of this. All three of my children played D1 sports, all scholarship and academic scholarships. And that's because they 
owned their accomplishments. Oh, you mean they weren't just born with natural athletic ability and that got them well, all the way that through life? And, you know, and I modeled a lot. They saw I was a runner. They saw me do things. My husband was a runner. They saw us go through different things. We modeled that. But as they were going through different things and struggles that they had, either with school, sports, friends, whatever— and we said, I would say to them, well, come to me with some ideas and let's talk about that. And they took it over. They have this profound sense of ownership where they, I can, I can do this. I, I mean, I've kind of brought our son, who's I've talked about before. He works with the, he's the head producer for these pictures with Scarlett Johansson. He is right now in Atlanta filming his first feature called Project Artemis. And he's worked with, you know, Scarlett, Tatum Channing, Woody Harrelson, who he thinks is amazing, just crazy, Ray Romano, all that, from a script he wrote when he was first in New York, stuck in a traffic jam with a young guy that they just did a bunch of free stuff just to get there, and they pulled it off the shelf during COVID. Wow. Got it rewritten, and he's filming it in Atlanta right now. It will be out this year. So That's incredible. But but here's the thing, too, that he learned. Like he, When he was starting to work there, I think I've shared this with you guys before, but he was d- doing a shoot. You know, he just started from the bottom, like, I got to bring these people Starbucks and moved it up, right? So he was on some shoot, and the guy said, Hey, 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 Flynn, Flynn, do you know how to, we need somebody to move that truck. Do you know how to drive a truck? you know how to do that? And he's just like, yeah, mm -hmm, I know how to do that. Because as soon as you say no in New York, they go, (laughs) next, right? Uh So So he gets in the truck, he FaceTimes my husband, his dad, and said, dad, how do I move this? How do I do this? (laughs) And that's what, you know, but that's like. But he doesn't get in that truck if he doesn't believe he could learn how to drive that truck. But that happened early on when those, when you say to your kids, like, and you don't have to be this huge therapist when they get through something, go like having that conversation with my grandson in the car on the way home. And I said, so how do you think things went in that game? What do you think went well? I think I did this. I said, anything you want to change? Anything you want? Yeah, I think I go, yeah, that's awesome, Brody. That's awesome. They, they know. Did, they told. And, and I think they want to do it. I really believe that. We take that opportunity from them. And you hobble your children when you do that. They will never know how good they are. It's like, real quick, my daughter one time came home. She was going to, she's getting her driver's license. And she said, so I was wondering, what kind of car am I going to get? And I said, well, here's here's the car you're going to get. You know that old Volvo station wagon that's sitting in the driveway? Well, on the two days that I'm working, you get to have that car for those two days. She goes, well, well, you know, I'm not going to get, I said, you know, I said, you know, Elizabeth, if I had $5 million sitting in this drawer, I would still not get you a car because I don't want to take away from you the feeling that you're going to get when you have saved some money and put it toward that car. I, I want you to have that feeling, and I don't want to take that away from you. That story prompts a very similar story in my head and one of my favorite parenting tips is when you're asked a question, repeat the question. Mm. And I was asked the very same question by our daughter, Emily, 
when she was 16 and got her driver's license. She said, she asked me the same exact question. Dad, what kind of car am I going to get? I don't know, Em. What kind of car are you going to get? <laughs> <laughs> and the look on her face, and I've tortured that young soul so many times with some of my, you know, coaching stuff. And that one just threw her for, she looked at me like I was like, what? I don't understand. What do you mean? What do you mean? Yeah, I'm not getting a car. <laughs> oh no, you can get a car. You can, but You're what, right. what? What? Right. What, what, you can get a car. What are you gonna do? What are you gonna save? Right. And when the day came in COVID, as a matter of fact, uh-huh. when uh-huh. she bought her car, I was there to help facilitate it. But it was, you know, the sales guy kept looking at me. And granted, we had to co-sign for it because she doesn't have any credit. How could she have credit? She was 20, 21 years old. And the sales guy kept looking at me and I said, dude, I'm not buying the car. She's buying the car. Yeah. So talk with her. And then every every once in a while she'd do the, you know, something would come up and she'd look at me. I'm like, talk to the nice man about how much money you want to put down. Don't don't look at me like I'm the, the oracle of this. That's awesome. In fact, I was just talking to my son the other day and we were just, talking about different stuff with kids and he brought up the story and I'd kind of forgot about this but kind of goes into empowering kids he was probably eight or maybe eight years old something like that and he got into a little bit of a habit of lying hmm. and I really bothered me and then you know you tried the whole thing oh you're grounded you're da 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 and so I just thought, I got to, you know, he can't live a life like this. You, you got to get rid of this habit. It's bad. So we had, he had a half day at school. And I, for the week before his half day, his half day was on Friday. I said, hey, can, when you half day at school, you know what we're going to do? I'm going to, let's, let me pick you up. Let's go to McDonald's and then we'll go to a movie. Then we'll go to a movie. That movie you want to see. Oh, great. Every day. I kept, hey, don't forget. Half day, pick you up. We're going to go to that movie. Oh, that's great. Oh, man, I can't wait. So Friday comes. I said, don't forget, I'm pick you up today. So I pick him up. gets in the car. I drive home. I, I go in our driveway. I go in the house. And he comes in the house, and he said, I thought we were going to McDonald's in a movie. And I go, oops, guess I lied. And he Ouch. looked at me, and I said, I want you to feel this, Keenan. I want you to feel what it's like when you trust somebody and you think they're saying, and we're done with this habit. We are breaking this habit now. And he is 33 and told, said, I remember that. <laughs> well, I'm, I'm sure at some that point, left a perhaps, mark. Yeah. perhaps Dr. Joyce, he was in therapy for that. <laughs> <laughs> He was, it was like, you, and so Talk you about can do dopamine. A, right. You can do a lot with children and just, that's why I have people tell me your story. You got to feel this yourself. Once you feel this yourself, mm-hmm. then you can understand. Once you felt what it was like to have that pain, then you can really go in and help other people. I get it now. I yeah. get this. You can then make a choice that you want to do something about it. You don't have to know what the something is. But you're going to make a choice well to said. do something. Well said. You and I can talk to a wrong number for three days. So with Dr. <laughs> Joyce, we could talk to her for three months. months and months and months. That's awesome. You have an yes. event coming up. Yes, very excited. 
please tell us more because after today's conversation and and some of the tools and action steps yeah, and thoughts and everything from how we interact with children and these relationships that are so important our kids as well as you know if we're feeling a bit stuck with whether it's the covid hangover the 2022 hangover you've got a very important event coming up that i think our financial sobriety tribe needs to know more about thank you so much for mentioning that so yes on april the 29th on Saturday, we're having Sac State, along with MetaHab at Sac State, is having the science and practice of post-traumatic growth. And so what we will be doing during that time is from 8.30 to 4, and we will be in the morning going over the science. So we will be talking about the neurobiology, neurophysiology, the genetics, uh, the science of compassion and all that. And in the afternoon, we will talk about MetaHab and PTG and then specific application of these concepts. So we'll awesome. have a long time wow. to have people work with these and apply these to it. Now, don't get nervous when I say the neurobiology and neurophysiology. So Do I have is, to wear a lab coat? Yes. This is for... <laughs> community members, as well as academics and scientists, we are crossing that gap. So you will all get something from this. So everybody from our financial sobriety tribe is welcome to participate. Everybody. Is and this in person or is this, this virtual is in, online? Yeah, No, this is an in-person thing. And it's really, I'm super excited <sighs> Ooh, about this better. too, because the way we have structured this is it's at the Alumni Center at Sac State. We will have round tables because we want people to interact. Nice. And so it is $100 per person or $50 if you're a student. How do we register? How does somebody get to go to this event? How does somebody get to go to this event? Let me give you my email address, which is very simple. Michael Fly, M-I-K-A-L-F-L-Y, at csus.edu. You send me an email, and I will make sure you get there. That I will is, make sure you get that there. That is wonderful. We're going to make this easy. We're going to put a little button on the homepage of the Financial Sobriety website. So if you go to yourfinancialsobriety.com, you're going to see a button right on the homepage for Dr. Joyce and her event, The Science and Practice of Post-Traumatic Growth. If you're interested in attending this event... On April 29th from 8.30 a.m. to 4 p.m. at Harper Alumni Center at Sacramento State, we're going to make it real easy to register. Oh, that'd be great. Thank Absolutely. you so much. Dr. Joyce, it is always a pleasure oh to have gosh, you here. Oh, my gosh, you guys. So fun. Can't wait to do this again. Yes, yes. Much gratitude. Thank, Thank you. Thank you. Go ahead. And with that, that's a wrap. If you like what you heard, leave us a review and be sure to subscribe. And check out our website, yourfinancialsobriety.com. Thanks again for listening today, here to help you find more clarity, confidence, and capability along your journey into financial sobriety. I'm Matthew Grishman. And I'm Jim Gebhardt. Be intentional with your money. Jim Gebhardt is a registered representative of and securities offered through Brokers International Financial Services, LLC, member SIPC. Jim Gebhardt and Matthew Grishman are investment advisor representatives of Gebhardt Group Incorporated, a registered investment advisor. Brokers International Financial Services, LLC, and Gebhardt Group Incorporated are not affiliated. The opinions in this podcast are for informational purposes only and are not intended to provide specific advice or investment recommendations. To determine which investments 
investments or financial advice may be appropriate for you, consult a financial advisor prior to investing. Any reference to market performance is based on historical information and there is no expressed or implied guarantee of future performance. Opinions expressed on this program do not necessarily reflect those of Brokers International Financial Services, LLC. The topics discussed and opinions given are not intended to address the specific needs of any listener. Gebhardt Group Incorporated does not offer legal or tax advice. Listeners are encouraged to discuss their financial needs with the appropriate professional regarding your individual circumstance.